Well, I'll tell you, for uh, those that may be visiting this weekend, we're in the middle of a, a series through the entire month of June named One in Christ. And I know for me, this has just been a huge blessing this month to have pastors from different churches come and share. And, and this weekend is no different. You're in store for a special, special treat. And Pastor Carl Bryant is the senior pastor at Greater True Light Baptist Church. And uh, he actually has his roots here in Modesto and was a member of Big Valley Grace. In fact, he served on our school board and our elder board and was a small group leader. And his family has been with us all weekend. And I'll tell you, after last night, it, uh, it really occurred to me that, uh, that being one in Christ really starts in a lot of ways with listening to each other's stories. And Pastor Carl has a different story than mine. And so it's been a real honor to hear his story and to hear how Christ has been working in his life. And so would you welcome with me Pastor Carl Bryant. First, a couple housekeeping things. My wife always reminds me when I stand up in front of people, like pull your pants legs down. And <laughs> Make sure I'm appropriate. <laughs> Praise God. Good morning. morning. It is good to be here at Big Valley. I want to thank uh, Pastor Rick, who is probably somewhere uh, bathing, sunbathing. So I don't know where he's at. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, Pastor Bobby and Pastor Scott, I just um, want to thank you for uh, making me feel welcome. You know, I got to share this with you that. Eleven months ago, I received a phone call that's changed my life. The subject of the call was something that I thought about and prayed about every day since. I was uh, thousands of miles away from home driving with my family in Virginia to, to get lunch when my cell phone rang. And being the law-abiding citizen that I am, uh, I didn't pick it up because I was driving. And I hate those earpieces. But when I saw who the caller was, I felt comfortable allowing my daughter, Stephanie, to answer the phone because the caller had been her high school pastor, now your senior pastor, Rick Countryman. So after I parked the car, I took the phone and I listened to what Rick had to say. And he said something I've thought about ever since. He said, Carl, your doctor called and said that things don't look good. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I had you guys. I had you. <laughs> but what he said was, I'd like you to come preach at Big Valley. So there was a pause, silence. And then I began to have a flashback. Because in 1994, my family and I came to Big Valley and quickly became involved in serving. I served on the elder board, as you heard, and school board, and led one of the home churches, and gave my testimony right here on this platform, and spoke at graduations, prayed, and even got a chance to sing with my daughters every once in a while. I coached basketball and track and field at the high school. But I thought now, Lord, after almost 13 years of being away, I get to stand 
on this platform where great men of God have stood to deliver powerful sermons. And I thought, what, a, what an awesome, awesome thing. For me, this is an his, historical day. But when I'm done for you, it might be in a hysterical day, I'm not sure. <laughs> During this, our years here, we developed some marvelous and wonderful relationships. And many prayed that I would come back and be able to stand here and speak to you. And I've mentioned his name in a couple services, and my heart is a little heavy right now. Um, Joe Squires was a member of this church, and from the time I left here in 2000, Joe would call me faithfully and just say, hey, man, you know, we'd love to have you come back. He said, I, I know you're busy, but I'd love to have you come back. I said, yeah, Joe, I appreciate it. And, you know, one day, you know, we'll see that come to pass. And I just found that after last service, that God has called, called Joe home to be with the Lord. I'm sure he would have loved to have been here to see this day. Now, it's such an awesome day for me. You know, I'm also very emotional, and I prayed before I started yesterday, Lord, don't let me get up here and start crying. <laughs> and I've made it through. And when I found out about Joe, uh, my heart is a little heavy. But, you know, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't sure if this was really gonna happen. You know, what pastor calls a guy, another preacher, 11 months ahead of time, <laughs> and says, I want you to come preach? And you know, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, okay, next month when I get back. Uh, he said, no, uh, next year in, in, in June. And this was July of last year when I got this call. So you can imagine, um, I've had to cut things short uh, Saturday and this morning. So for you guys, I feel sorry for you. No. <laughs> but you know, I, I wasn't really sure this day was gonna happen until I kept running into people in various places around town and they said, hey Carl, uh, I heard you're coming to preach at Big Valley. I said, oh my gosh, they actually told somebody? So anyway, here I am, thanking God for this opportunity. But once again, I got a little nervous the closer it got to this day, because I, all of a sudden I started getting phone calls and emails and text messages and requests for pictures, bios, <laughs> autographs, I, I'm, I mean signatures. Proof of citizenship status. I mean, I, I was getting forms and I was just like, what in the world is this? I mean, didn't Rick tell him that he knew me? I mean, he invited me. I mean, but all the time I was here at Big Valley, I mean, uh, to be a member, to be an elder, uh, to coach at the school, to lead a home church, I probably signed about this much paper here. But to come preach here? Oh my gosh. I thought, Rick must really love you guys because he's not just going to let anybody come and preach at this church. And if they had to fill out all the paperwork that I had to fill out, I'm sure you won't see, see any other preacher here for the next few years. 
So Rick, I know you're listening. But you know, when you invite me to your house, Rick, don't send me to everybody else's house first, okay? Thank you. But to be honest with you, uh, I thought this was a trick. I thought they found out about my criminal record <laughs> and they're gonna arrest me in front of everybody. <laughs> so if you see me looking at doors and you know, kinda, okay. Anyway, I'm thankful. But I remember what Pastor Rick told me about the theme for the month, one in Christ. He said, Carl, this is our theme, but you preach whatever you're passionate about. And I thought, wow, um, one in Christ is definitely something I'm passionate about. But I'm not gonna preach about that. I'm gonna preach about how much I hate technology. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm passionate about that as well. When I arrived here yesterday, they said, what do you want to wear? And I was like, what, what do you mean? Um, uh, you know, a head thing or one of these things or just a microphone. So my daughter knows me well. She said, give him the lapel thing. He'll be all right. But I want to thank uh, my, my lovely wife, Kathy, who has uh, been my life partner for the last 33 years. Babe, would you stand up and just wave to everybody? And God has blessed us with some amazing children and grandchildren. Um, I wanna, I'm thankful for uh, my daughters who I uh, got the chance to grow up. I mean, they got a chance to grow up uh, in our home, but I got a chance to hear them time and time again in the bedroom just singing. And we always tried to foster an atmosphere in our home where it was conducive to them knowing Christ and everything about Christ. And so, uh, Stephanie, thank you so much, dear. You know, I, I had fun with Pastor Scott. Pastor Scott called me. He was one of several pastors I talked to to get this opportunity. And so um, I requested that Stephanie be allowed to sing a solo before the message, but somehow that message didn't get back to him. So he called me and said, hey, uh, I heard you want your daughter to sing on the worship team. I said, well, Scott, that wasn't my request. I requested that she sing a solo before the message. And he goes, oh. He goes, uh, well, uh, can she sing? <laughs> and I really wanted to have fun with him, but I really didn't know him. And I wanted to tell him, you know, she's never sung before. I just wanted to try it out, okay? Would it be okay? <laughs> praise God. Praise God for oneness. And um, we think about this theme. And my prayer today, that you not just hear me, but Christ in me. You might laugh, you might cry, but I hope that you worship with me today. You know, when I was born in 1952, and I've seen a lot in my life. The majority of those years I spent right here in Modesto. I've seen the division, I've seen the, the pain, I've seen the suffering. I've seen the problems that churches go through. 
So when I had an opportunity to come and talk about this theme, I was excited. Now, I hope you need to, you need to understand something. I'm not a, a three-bullet kind of preacher. You know, you got this three little things. I might not even be an eight-bullet preacher, uh, but I probably have an AK-47 when it comes to, you know, one in Christ. I mean, I, there's a lot that God has laid on my heart and some things I just have to share with you. Because when I became a Christian, Christ made a big difference in my life. You see, as a child, like a lot of you, I went to church. But that didn't necessarily make me a Christian. And the churches I went to, everybody, and I mean everybody, looked just like me. But in 1976, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior in a church where all the people didn't look like me. And the light of God's word opened my eyes and I became passionate about what the Bible had to say about oneness. Babe, I know you told me not to turn the page, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> See, my wife, she, she loves me. She says, when you turn that page, we can hear it. I said, but ah, it's just a habit. But as a new believer, I saw something strange. I saw black people and white people worshiping together in the same church in a predominantly black neighborhood. Strange place. The senior pastor was black, but the assistant pastor was white. Strange place. They had several other staff members that were also black and white and several guys who were attending Western Theological Seminary who were also black and white. Strange place. So being invited there uh, to visit the church, I arrived on a Sunday morning and opened the door, and the first thing I heard was some discouraging words. The music was something totally different than what I'd ever heard. I actually thought there was a funeral service going on, <laughs> something I wasn't used to. But strangely enough, after the service ended, I was standing there and I probably stood out like a sore thumb, you know, when you're new or visiting a church, everybody knows who you are. And people began to approach me saying, hi, how you doing, man? It's good to see you, welcome, blah, blah, blah. And they started hugging me. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, I, I just got here, I don't know you guys, don't be. But they wouldn't stop, one after the other, white and black. I was like, okay, I can handle this. But the next week, I just came back on my own. I drove the 30-plus miles from McMinnville, Oregon, back to Portland. I started to like it. In reality, I loved it. It was short-lived, though. God began to touch my life, and I began to grow in the Lord. And After all the years of being in church, Here's Life America, I found a campaign, came through Portland, Oregon, and I was invited. Our church sent a few of us that were students. And in that meeting, that setting, they talked about repenting of your sins. I'd never heard that before. What, what do you mean, repenting of my sins? I'm a nice guy. But they delved into it a little bit deeper, and I began to realize that that was something I'd never heard before, repenting of my sins and inviting Christ 
to be my Savior and Lord. I had just been a church member. All my friends would have said, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. He's a Christian. But that day, sitting in that meeting, when they opened up the Four Spiritual Laws booklet, and they began to walk through that, and I began to weep. Now, my friend who was, came with me, he was looking at me going, man, what's wrong with you? I said, man, I, I just received Christ. He goes, man, are you kidding me, man? You've been working in the church. You've been... I said, I understand that, but I just received Christ, and my life hasn't been the same since. Once again, in 1977, God sent me back home to Modesto. And once again, the people I went to church with looked just like me. And many Sundays, I literally cried walking from, my, from church to my home out off of Robertson Road, praying for God to send me back to Oregon. And my theme song became Andre Crouch's song, Take Me Back, because I wanted to go back to Portland where I saw unity, I saw oneness, I saw harmony. But in 1979, God began to change my life when he called me into the ministry. And I began to realize that if our church was gonna change, I needed to be part of that change. So I began to invite every white guy I saw to church to integrate our church. <laughs> Being on the west side of Modesto, there were a few takers. But Gary, a guy named Gary, he was kind of down and out on his luck, and Gary just decided, you know what? You invited me, man, I'm coming. And he came just as he was. Gary ended up being one of the most faithful members of our church. So in February of 79, God called me to preach. In March of 79, I began working for the California Youth Authority in Stockton. And in November of 79, I married that wonderful lady over there. So I can say 79 was a pretty good year. <laughs> but in 1983, he sent our family to Atwater, where I served as associate and youth pastor. And while there, I attended a conference called Institute of Basic Youth Conflicts by Bill Gothard. And there were a few people there that looked like me, but there wasn't enough. So the next year, I brought a few brothers. <laughs> I mean, you guys follow me, brothers, you know, guys that looked like me, yeah, okay. <laughs> I bought a few of them with me. All this time, I wanted to experience what I had experienced in Oregon, in that little Berean Baptist church, a true oneness in Christ, a unity centered around the Bible and Jesus. All the time, the word of God was just ringing in my mind, and I sincerely desired what God desired for oneness in the body of Christ. I began to think, Lord, how can I make a difference? One person at a time. You meet one person, you share with them the love of Christ and who you are in Christ Jesus. But the scripture that just rung loudly in my ears, and, and like I said, um, you have an outline. I, I may get to it eventually. But Matthew 5, 46 through 48 says, and I'm going to give you the CBV version. That's Carl Bryant's version. <laughs> but it says, if you love those who love you, or my version says, if you love those who look like you, what reward will you get? If you just love those who look like you, what reward will you get?
And he doesn't stop there. He says, then, are not even the tax collectors doing that? Now, John, is John still here? John Friuli? Now, I heard the applause you gave my daughter, and I heard the applause you gave me, and I'm thankful for it. When they said, the financial guy's coming up. <laughs> Praying for you, John. But it didn't stop there. It says, and if you only greet, if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? You know, for the first few years we came to Big Valley, God brought me out of my shell of being around people that mostly look like me. But I came here and I knew several people here, and so I felt pretty comfortable. And I would walk down the hallway sometime and just purposely, I'd see somebody and they would see me coming. And you know how we do when we're uncomfortable, you know. <laughs> and I'd just kind of jump up, hey, good morning, how are you? Oh, I didn't see you. <laughs> and I wanted to say, yes, you did. You just didn't want to make eye contact with me, but it's all right, we're good. And we're going to grow together here. So, oneness in Christ, when I say I'm passionate about it, I hope you hear my passion today. God's words are quick and powerful, and sharp, piercing. And there are times when we want the word of God to really leave us alone because we want to stay the way we are. We want to stay in our comfort zone. And God loves us too much to let us stay there. And he keeps pushing us and prodding us to reach out to form this oneness that he would be pleased with. Psalm 133 came to mind how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when this thing happens. And to me, what God was saying is that he was seeking oneness. The question began to pop up and you can open your Bibles now or flip open that little program you have to John chapter 17. Growing up, it was a struggle being different because the color issue was always at the forefront. And I look among people that look like me and we have a spectrum of shades within that color of being black or and I always wondered what committee of people did they form to get together to decide what we were going to be called? Was it, you know, black, Negro, African-American, Afro-American? I, I don't know who, who, who developed this committee. I wasn't sure. So for the last few years, I guess we've settled on just being black. But growing up, I didn't spend a lot of time looking in the mirror. Uh, I spent a lot of time outside, and I had an auntie who was on the darker side of that spectrum. And she was to tell me, she says, Carl, she says, uh, if you drink coffee, it'll make you black. <laughs> uh, I looked at my auntie and I go, okay. Um, I guess I didn't want to be that color. So uh, 
I didn't drink coffee, and I tell you, to this day I don't drink coffee, but it's not for that reason. <laughs> but we realize that in the body of Christ, we're one, but we are different. And what God was seeking was oneness, and how important was it? We find these words in John 17, beginning at verse 20. It says, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you and are in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's saying to me that when Christ enters our life, he changes us from the inside out. That world out there that's waiting to see if Christ makes a difference in us, can we unite rallying around Jesus Christ? The world is waiting to see that. But what we've shown them so far, because there's, as Jeff said earlier, there's over 90% of the people in this city that don't attend church. Shame on us. We need to be about our Father's business. We need to be out there reaching the lost souls for Jesus Christ, regardless of what color they are. Christ was passionate about oneness, that the world may believe. He said, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that may, they may be brought to partial unity. Is that what it says? I hope you have your Bibles open to complete unity. Up to this point, a lot of our unity has been partial. And God wants to break down these walls that are dividing us and unite us in a way that the world will see and marvel at what God is doing in our lives individually and collectively. But it's so important, oneness was so important to the heart of God that it consumed the final prayer of Jesus Christ before his death on the cross. In this prayer, Jesus intercedes for his followers the way the high priest of old interceded to God in the temple on behalf of the Jewish people. As our great high priest, our great mediator, Jesus stood between God and the people and represented the interests of both parties towards the other as only he could. He could empathize with our weakness. He knew that we would be weak in this area of oneness. So what did he do? He prayed for us. In the 1990s, Bill McCartney, who was a football coach, started an organization called Promise Keepers. And I had an opportunity to attend a conference in Oakland. Thousands and thousands of men there. And if you've never experienced something like that, when you get thousands of men singing praises of, to God, it was an awesome experience. The format of that, that day was just phenomenal. And then they began to talk about reconciliation across denominational lines, racial lines, and on and on and on. And man, I was just sitting there just soaking all this up. Lord, this is my heart to see people reconcile, put the past behind them. So what happened is that they got to that moment of racial reconciliation, and I was there with a few brothers <laughs> and a brother from another mother. And they began to say, you, my white brothers, you need to come and embrace your black brothers and be, be reconciled and uh, 
apologize and repent for all the things that your parents and your foreparents did to black people. Man, we were overwhelmed. All these white guys all of a sudden started surrounding us. I thought we were getting ready to get mobbed. <laughs> it took me back to Portland. Wait, wait, wait a minute, stop. How old are you? Did, did you have slaves? Did your parents have slaves? Because my parents weren't slaves, neither were my grandparents. So I, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're doing. I know you want to reconcile with me. Man, there's just too many of you guys. <laughs> and my brother from another mother, he's standing over there just lost. He's like, who am I going to hug? So then when all these other guys left us, he walks up and said, can I get a hug? And you guys said, man, get away from me. You came with us. But it was a joyous time, and God began to break down some barriers, some walls that were there among those men were there. I mean, there was weeping from deep within because we, we come face to face with God who knows us well. He knows our heart. He knows what we think. Jesus was passionate about it. Jesus' prayer covered thousands of years and billions of people, and it's still covering us today. But before he would pay for our sins on the cross, he prayed for our oneness as a result of what he was getting ready to do. And in John 12, 32, it says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw some people to myself. Is that what it says? No, he says, I will draw all people to myself. And he's been drawing people ever since. Now, it's up to us to unite around what he's done for us and be drawn to one another in a way that God would be pleased with. He would look at us and see our harmony, our unity, our oneness, and the angels in heaven will rejoice. His heart was burdened for how his followers would get along in the wake of his physical absence. And I know if Jesus was to walk in here today, we would all start singing Kumbaya. You know, we would find a person that doesn't look like us to, to hug and embrace and say, Lord, look at me, I'm loving everybody. Listen, Jesus was burdened for oneness, but he was concerned for his, his followers. He's concerned for us. And if we're passionate about it, we're concerned for one another as well. Jesus talked about it. He taught about it. He prayed about it. And ultimately, he gave his life for it. So if Jesus was burdened for this kind of unity, what should we be burdened for? If Jesus prayed for oneness, what should we pray for? The overriding theme of his heart's cry to God was for his followers, his followers, red, yellow, black, brown, and white, rich and poor, male and female, to experience true oneness like he had with his father. And in verse 11, it says this, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me. And what is that name this morning, church? Jesus. I, I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. I got to turn my hearing aid up just a second. What is that name, church? Jesus. That name above all names, that powerful name, that matchless name, that name that is able to transform our lives and cause us to be one with one another across racial lines, economic lines, whatever it is, breaks down that barrier 
And when I look at you, I see Christ. Just as love does, oneness among God's children has a way of communicating to unbelievers the reality of Jesus Christ. What they really want to see is that does our relationship that we talk about with Christ really work? Or do we just talk about it and then not do it? We need to apply the word of God to our lives that the world might see Christ in us. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. A new command I give you, love one another. Now that's pretty simple, cut and dry. Love one another. He didn't specify what race you are, what gender you are, what, where you live. He just said, love one another. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Now, he doesn't give us options there, does he? He says, but here's the thing that gets me. By this, by your love one for another, everyone will what? Know that you are my disciples. So if you say, you don't love me, oh well, what does the word say? If you, don't, if you say you don't love your brother, what does the word say? By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, I love you. Oh, come on now. Some of you guys start looking at your shoes, looking at the shoulder. I want you to look that person in the eye. Now, some of you are sweating big time more than I'm sweating up here. If it's your wife, if it's your husband, that should be easy for you. But I want you to look at that stranger that you don't know and say, I love you. <laughs> by this, by this, they will know that you're my disciples. Remember the phrase, WWJD? Yeah. What would Jesus do? Well, the world knows what Jesus would do because they can read the Bible. The question should be, WWYD, what would you do? See, when our life, when, as the Bible says, our, we are living epistles to be read of men, what will our life read like when somebody looks at us? What will our life say about oneness? Did we teach it? Did we embrace it? Did we pursue it? Pastor Green was here. His church is downtown Modesto, and, and many of you go to downtown Modesto. So you might pass by and you'll remember to pray for him, but our church is in deeper west side. So you purposely would have to come by and know where you're going to find us. But when you think about oneness, where is it that God wants to send us? Send us someplace where we're not comfortable. Send us someplace where there's darkness because there is no oneness so that, that light may shine through us, that light that he gives us in the midst of this dark world. Going out into a community where there's gangs, there's shootings, there's murders, there's robbery, 
but God protects us by that name, that name Jesus. The world sees the power of the enemy. They see it all the time at work, the hatred, the jealousy, the envies, the murders. And they see that in the church. What they fail to see is the power of God at work in us, his followers. They don't see his fruit in our lives according to Galatians 5.22. They don't see that love, that joy, that peace, that forbearance, that kindness, that goodness, that faithfulness, that gentleness, that self-control. And the Bible says against those things, there is no law. There's no legislator that can pass a law saying, I forbid all these things because the power of God overrides all that because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Did I say I was passionate about this? I don't, I don't want you to think that Rick invited some angry black man here to preach to you. <laughs> I love God's word. I love what it says. And, you know, before I can even preach it, it has to apply to me first. So I'm passionate. What does oneness look like? You can get to bullet number two. Turn to 1 Corinthians. chapter 1. Beginning at verse 10, we find these words, I appeal to you, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. And I thought, God, that's what oneness looks like. There's, There's no arguing. There's no disagreement. There's no divisions. There's unity in thought and in mind. We need to let this mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. And when we do that, unity will flow from that. But he didn't stop there. In verse 12, it says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Jesus. And I thought in my own version, that would be like saying, I follow Dr. Billy Graham. I follow Dr. Luis Palau. I follow Dr. Tony Evans. There's a lot of doctors out there, aren't there? And I thought, well, I want to qualify as a doctor. I've been to the doctor. Does that qualify me as? Well, anyway. But is is Christ divided church? Look around at our churches today and you tell me, is Christ divided? What does oneness look like? Loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And if we love our neighbor, regardless of race, class, or gender, the world might believe that Jesus is who he said he was and will agree with Andre Crouch who said, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. And you know, when I came to Christ, I was just stupid enough to believe that, and I believe it today that Jesus Christ is the answer, and he wants the unity that he's going to be pleased with. But it starts with each one of us, and then we branch out from there. What good is God 
if his love and his gospel can't bring us Christians together for the world to see? What good is Jesus if he is not capable of unifying his family on earth? Let's face it, who wants to be part of a 3D family that's divided, defeated, and dysfunctional? But when someone sees a family that's loving, accepting, and places value on each member, they will line up to become a part of that family. Wouldn't you line up for that? When you go out in the community, what do you say about your family here? The things that you say, does it cause people to want to come and flock here? See, when I first joined here, there were a few that looked like me, but there were a lot that looked like Christ, and that made all the difference in the world to me. Who do you look like? Now, my son, he can't hide anywhere in town because he looks like me. People that know me, when they see him, they just walk up and go, hey, are you Carl Bryant's son? He used to hate that. That means he couldn't get in trouble because a lot of people were watching him. <laughs> but God is watching us each and every day. Are we demonstrating that we look like him? Are we demonstrating the oneness that he wants us to demonstrate in this world we live in? Pastor Williamson, who pastors a multiracial church in Franklin, Tennessee said, people would gladly and proudly tell all kinds of people about their family if it was a family united in oneness. I gotta share something with you. Oneness doesn't look the same. Flip over to 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm just about to wrap this up. 1 Corinthians 12, beginning at verse 12 says, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Everybody in here today, if you know Jesus Christ, you are part of that body. But if you look at one another, you don't look the same. There's differences. But if you look through your eyes, you see those differences. But if you look through the eyes of Christ, you see one. Many parts. It says, for we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all, and we're all given the one spirit to drink. So even, even so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. God's word is letting us know that even though we are one, we are different. Although we may look differently on the outside where man looks, inwardly in our heart where God looks, we look the same. But when it comes to oneness in Christ, it has to flow from your heart. So when you look at one another, another member of the body of Christ that looks different from you, don't make that statement that when I see you, I don't see color. Listen, I got two good eyes. I, I take that back, I, I got four good <laughs> eyes. And when I look in the mirror, I see who I am. So for you to say you don't see me the color I am, like, I'm looking at you like, what are you talking about? That's because you're looking through the natural eye. But if you look through the eyes of Christ, you should see Christ in me and I should see Christ in you. And he gets glorified through that. Maybe we should change that statement. 
to say, when I look at you, I see Christ. How can we accomplish oneness? Romans 12. First couple of verses. And I, I find it amazing that we are always being urged, prompted, compelled to do the things that are pleasing to God. The Bible says we are a stiff-necked people. We're just kind of hard-headed. We get set in our ways, and we don't want to branch out. But he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. See, we're too busy trying to please each other, trying to act like somebody else. And, and I'm thankful for my pastor friends here who said, brother, just be yourself. I can't fit in that box. Present your bodies, offer your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now, I'll share something with you. If you please God, some of your brothers and sisters might be pleased as well. What do you think? Amen. You say amen? amen? Now, you guys are pretty boisterous earlier. Did I, am I hitting a few nerves here? I'm not sure. I was in the office over there, man. I heard you guys, you were clapping it up, rejoicing. But when we think about oneness in Christ, that ought to make us all rejoice because God began that work and the Bible says he is faithful and just to complete it. Thank God he's not finished with us yet. <laughs> Psalm 133 says, how good and pleasant it is for God's people to live together in unity. But my thought is that if our living together is going to be good and pleasant, something has to change. We have to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. We have to realize that we came to Christ needing something, and I'd kind of like to relate that to the three characters in The Wizard of Oz. You and I both came to God like the scarecrow, needing God to do something to this brain of ours to transform our minds, and needing our minds transformed by his power and letting that mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus. And knowing that our heart is evil, we can identify with the tin man because we need to, for God to create in us a clean heart. But to apply it, we need the courage that the lion was looking for. If we're going to accomplish the oneness that is pleasing to God, we need to come boldly, as the Bible says, to God. And Hebrews 4.16 says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We certainly need God today to make us into that one cohesive unit that he wants in his body. Different, but one. We need grace, we need mercy to help us in our time of need, and I'll tell you again, Jesus is the answer. The question is, we think about this theme, one in Christ. Do you want it? And if you do, when do you want it? For me, and how passionate I am about seeing oneness in the body of Christ, church, I want it now. How about you?
I'm thankful to be here today. It's been over 12 years, and my prayer is that one day the church will look much different than it looks today. I used to walk through the halls of this church, and I would look at the pictures on the wall of the leadership here, but none of the pictures look like me. My prayer is one day before too long, I'll walk back and the leadership in this church will reflect the whole body of Christ. Can you say amen? amen. God bless you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. We're going to pray. And I hope that as you've heard my testimony, as you've heard the word of God, that you would examine your, your heart today and be honest before God, because God knows us well. Say, Lord, I've failed in some of these areas in my life, and I want to make a change starting today. I want to love as you have loved me. Father, thank you for your word that's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Lord, we pray that as we examine ourselves today, Father, that we would allow the Spirit of God to break down the walls that so divide us, and that we would be that united church, that one in Christ that you would be pleased with. Lord, I thank you for every family represented here today. Lord, would you do a mighty work in them and through them. Lord, I thank you for Big Valley Grace, who's been such a blessing to me and my family and our church. Father, would you continue to move upon the heart of the leadership, to take risks, to do things like they did this month, and have various pastors come in to just preach the word of God from their heart. And Father, I pray that as we leave this place today, we would do like the Nike slogan says, that we would just do it. So Father, we pray that you give us the courage that we need to proclaim your truth and your love and your unity and oneness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. 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 God bless you.